All right, if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open them to James chapter 1. And if you did not bring a Bible today, there should be some in front of you in the pews. And you can turn in that Bible to page 1197. And that will land you on James chapter 1. How many of you in the room are juice drinkers? How many of you love to have a cold glass of juice in the morning? Got a couple, got a few. Okay, what's your favorite kind of juice? Grape? Grapefruit. Oh, that was, that was bold. Who, who was that? Steve, was that you? Grapefruit, okay. Jacob, you like grapefruit. Who else? What, what's your other favorite kind? Orange. Orange, okay. Well, you're the ones I'm talking to then. I've got in front of me two glasses of juice. One is pure, 100% juice, and one is pure, 100% pretend juice. One is juice, and one is orange-flavored sugar water. Now, if you wanted to figure out the difference between which one was real and which one was fake, how would you go about doing that? You would taste it, okay? What would be the difference between the real one and the fake one? The flavor. The fake one's probably going to burn the back of your throat with all the sugar that's in it, right? There's going to be some evidence between which one is real and which one's fake. The real one will have some pulp in it. The fake one will not. The real one will taste different, like a real glass of orange juice. The fake one will taste um, like sugar water. So how many of you think this one is the real one? How many of you think this one is the real one? Mason, you're all alone, buddy. No, there's somebody else. Is that Jasper? Asa. Asa and Mason and Asher. This and Lily. This is the real one. Now, those of you who guessed right, how did you know? The color. Look at the color. Vastly different, right? There is a difference. These, these look the same, and they're a little different. They, they smell. They smell the same. They're packaged the same. But if you want to know which one's real, which one's genuine, which one's pure, and which one is pretend, you've got to look for the evidence. And the same is true with our faith. If you want to know if your faith is genuine, if your faith is pure, you need to look for the evidence. The Bible says there are many people who have a pretend faith. Jesus referred to them as whitewashed tombs. Pretty harsh words. He said this in Matthew chapter 23. He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. And you say, what does that mean? Well, he goes on to tell us. He says, you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In other words, you look like you're pure followers of Christ. You look like you're, you're, you're a real glass of juice, but in reality... You're just, it's just looks. It's just pretend. On the inside, you are dead. Really good actors, but you're really just pretending. If you're a follower of Jesus, then there will be evidence to support this. Listen, to be a follower of Jesus, you first have to believe in Christ. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You have to repent of your sins and trust in the Lord. Believe that that Jesus came and lived a sinless life, that he died on a cross, and that he was resurrected from the dead three days later. And you have to believe 
that you are a sinner, that you've broken God's law, and you have to repent and put your faith and your trust and your hope in Christ. That's how you become a follower of Christ. And then after you've made your profession of faith, you need to go public. Your public profession of faith is your baptism. So after you've made a profession of faith, you need to have a public profession of faith, which is your baptism. But listen to me. If your story ends when you make a profession of faith and then you're baptized, if that's the end of your faith journey, then you need to question some things. Salvation, making a profession and then being baptized isn't the end of your faith journey. It's the beginning of your faith journey. If you pray a prayer and get baptized and then walk away, never to don the doors of a church again, never to open your Bible again, never to ponder on the things of God again, then you might just be a pretend follower. So the question that we have today is what is the evidence that we look for to determine whether or not our faith is genuine or pretend? How do you know if your faith is genuine? Well, there's plenty of places in Scripture we could look for for that answer. One of them is in James chapter 1. Here, James shows us three examples of faith. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open them to James chapter 1. And please stand as we read verses 19 through 27. And again, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew in front of you. And if you turn to page 1197, you will be right in James chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 19 and read all the way down to verse 27. God's word says this. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, well, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that your word would accomplish its work today. I pray, God, that you would, uh, you would have your way here this morning. I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would change lives in this room. And Father, I pray that as, as I preach your word, that you would make those words yours and that uh, I would only share what you'd have me to share. Guide my thoughts, guide my speech, and God, I pray you would guide the, the, the hearts of those in the room and those listening on the radio and YouTube and Facebook. 
And uh, Father, we pray that your work would be done, whatever that is. We pray, we beg that you would do your work here this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Three examples of genuine faith. Number one, genuine faith requires receiving the planted word of God. Look in your Bibles again, verse 19 through 21. In these three verses, there are five direct commands for the believer. Are you ready for it? Verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen. That's number one. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be slow to speak. That's number two. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be slow to anger. That's number three. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourself. That's number four. Ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. Number five, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here's what James is driving at. A genuine faith is a patient faith. A genuine faith is one that is quick to listen and slow to speak. A genuine faith is one that is patient. A person with a genuine faith doesn't make a practice of blowing his lid every time he gets a little bit frustrated. A genuine faith belongs to an individual who is under control. You listen well. You respond well. And you are not a hothead. doesn't mean you don't ever get angry. It doesn't mean you don't ever flip your lid. But you just don't do it all the time. But there's a step further here. Not only is a genuine faith a patient faith, a genuine faith is a pure faith. And you say, well, how is it pure? Because a person with a genuine faith will rid themselves of all moral filth and evil. Do you see that in the word? A person with a genuine faith is constantly pulling the weeds out of their life. How many of you are gardeners? Plant a garden, flower garden, vegetable garden. We tried. We didn't get very far with it. Listen, you know if you plant a garden, there's several steps that have to take place. You've got to till the ground. You've got to plant the seed deep in the ground. You've got to uh, provide it sunshine or the Lord provides sunshine. You've got to water it and feed it. And you know that when you provide, when the the Lord provides sunshine and you're watering and feeding your garden, you know that your crops are going to grow. And what else is going to grow right along with it? Weeds. And what do you got to do? Some of those weeds can be invasive. So what do you got to do when the weeds spring up in the garden? Oh, that is hard work, isn't it, Pat Rolls? My goodness, you're down on your knees, your back is hurting, your hands are dirty, and you're pulling as many weeds as you can, but you've got to do it, because if you don't, those weeds will take over your garden, and you won't have a garden left. That's what happened to us, by the way. We didn't pull the weeds. That's the picture that James paints for us. Look at verse 21. He says, therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, pull the weeds. Do you see it? Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. With great humility, allow the word of God to be planted deep within you, deep in your soul. And like a good, good gardener, pull the weeds of evil that spring up around it. Rid yourself of moral filth. 
rid yourself of all the evil that is so prevalent. And you say, how, how do I know what's evil? How do I know what's moral filth? The word that is planted deep within you shows you what is evil, what is moral filth. It shows you what the weeds are, and you pull the weeds. But you must let the word of God take deep root in your very soul. Genuine faith requires receiving the planted word of God. Secondly, genuine faith requires observing the perfect word of God. The word of God has to be received. It should be planted deep within you. But there is a second step that James lists here. You don't just hear the word of God. You've got to do the word of God. You've got to do what the Bible says. Look at verses 22 through 25. And watch as James here uses a mirror as an example. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And my Bible says deceiving yourselves. Do you see that? That's important. You're going to want to underline that. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, well, he is like someone who looks at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and the the picture there is someone who glances in a mirror. He looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. Did you catch the analogy there? The person who hears the word of God. The person who hears a good sermon. The person who reads the Bible daily and yet doesn't do what the word of God says. Is like a man who wakes up in the morning. Looks in the mirror. He's got crusty stuff in his eyes. His hair's all over the place. And then he walks away thinking that he's looking really good, thinking that he looks like Ben Affleck. But in reality, he is not. Only he's, he's deceiving himself. Everybody around him knows, but he doesn't know because he's deceived himself. That's the analogy that James uses to, to describe someone who hears the word, but doesn't do the word. They're fooling themselves. They think they look good. They think they're, they're good pretenders. They're great actors. But they're not. They fooled themselves. That person, according to verse 22, is deceived. Last night, uh, Carla and I, we had date night. I took my girl to Texas Roadhouse. Y'all know, y'all know they just bring you rolls there? Like, you don't have to order anything. They just bring you rolls. And they just keep bringing rolls. And so when they ask you, would you like to order anything? Order a Diet Coke with two straws and more rolls. (laughs) They'll eventually kick you out, but you'll be full by the time they do, so it doesn't matter. We went to Texas Roadhouse, and then we went to Hobby Lobby. Man, I suffer for the Lord, you know? That's what I do. Yeah. Imagine that before we left, that we left Mason a note Mason stayed home because he's a big boy now. You know, he stayed home. So imagine that we left him a note. And on that note, there were four instructions. The instructions were uh, sweep the kitchen, do the dishes, take the trash out, and don't play your Xbox until the first three are done. And as we leave, we tell Mason, hey, buddy, there's some instructions for you on the counter. 
and we'll be home in four hours. A lot of rolls. You can eat a lot of rolls in four hours. And then we come home. We walk in the door. And Mason, this didn't happen, by the way. I want to clarify that. But just pretend it did. Mason is on his, his Xbox. And I look over and I see the kitchen hasn't been swept. The dishes are full in the sink, piled high. And the trash hasn't been taken out. And he's playing Xbox. Now, what do you think me, as a loving father... What's going to happen next? There's going to be a whooping. That's what's going to happen next. No, I'm just kidding. You know his mama wouldn't let me do that. But there would be a stern talking to. A stern talking to. Imagine that I go to Mason and say, what, what, what happened, buddy? Did you not read the instructions that I left you? Yeah, Dad, I read them. I read them five times. I can even tell you what they are in order. You said to take trash out, to sweep the floor, you said to do the dishes, and you said not to play my Xbox until I did those four things, or those three things. I even memorized it, and I even called my friends, and we talked about the note that you left, but you didn't do it? Oh, I didn't, I didn't know you wanted me to do those things. You said to read the note. Isn't that often how we treat God's Word? That we read God's Word, and we hear God's Word, And then we go on like a man who looked in a mirror and forgot what he looked like. We never do what the Word said. Listen, listen. If you want your faith to grow, if you want your faith to to grow, it only grows when you do what the Bible says. Action. Action is where faith goes to grow. The The blessing in faith comes from doing what the Word says. Not just hearing what the Word says. Hearing's important. We don't want to minimize that. It's, it's crucial. You, you have to hear the Word to receive the Word. And when you receive the Word, you've got to observe the Word closely. You've got to stare at it intently. That's what verse 25 says. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. The person who works his faith is the one who is blessed. Blessing comes when you do what the Bible says to do. So you say, well, is there an example? Is there some kind of example that you can give me? That What do you mean by doing what the Word says? Well, I've got a couple of them here. James provides a couple of them here. Brings us to our third point. Genuine faith requires receiving the planted Word. It requires observing the perfect Word. And lastly, genuine faith requires applying the practical Word of God. Genuine faith is a practical faith, and it should flesh itself out in practical and observable ways. And here in these few verses, James gives us four practical uses of the word, of the word in action. The first one is similar to what we've already seen. Number one, watch your mouth. That's what he says here. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue... Well, his religion is useless. And what's the word after that? Deceives. And he deceives himself. Twice we've seen that word, deceives. Listen, God doesn't want you to be deceived. He doesn't want you you to deceive yourself thinking that you've got it all together and living your life under false pretenses. A practical faith means that you must watch your mouth. 
But look at what else he adds to it. Verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. To look after the orphan and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Listen, if you want a practical faith, you must be a compassionate follower of Christ who sees the most vulnerable people in the world, the most vulnerable people around us. And among those who are the most vulnerable, orphans and widows. Listen, there, there are in this county right now children who are in the foster care system who need a foster parent, but we can't find one. And so they have to get uprooted from their home. At no, they didn't do anything. It was maybe their parents had some mistakes and they get uprooted from their home. And because there's no foster home here, they have to go to a new home in a new city with a new school. It's a problem. We need more foster parents. That's pure and undefiled religion is to care for the orphan. And do you know what the answer for the, do you know what the answer for the lack of foster parents are? You know what it is? What the answer for the lack of foster parents is in this county? You. Me. The church, we are God's design for this very problem. You want to know how you do that? You say, I can't, man, I can't do that. I'm, I'm too old to be a foster parent. Listen, you, you aren't too old. If God is calling you to it, God will give you the strength to get through it. How old was Abraham and Sarah when they had their first child? You aren't too old. You say, well, what if I get too attached to this child? And I say, I pray to God you do. Because that child needs someone to be attached to them and love them and care for them. And you say, well, what if I get hurt? And I say, why is following Jesus safe? Why do you think you won't get hurt? Following Jesus is risky. Pain comes. But listen, pure religion is to look after those who are the most vulnerable. Secondly, pure religion is to look after widows in their distress. Man, if you want to care for some of the most vulnerable people in our society, you find a widow or a widower, and you just sit with them, just spend some time with them, just talk with them, ask them to share stories. Tell me about your vacation, the favorite vacation you had with your, with your husband or your wife. Laugh with them when they laugh, talking about going to Florida or going to Kansas. <laughs> laugh at that one. Listen, when they start talking about how much they miss their... You know, I, I, we, we minister at Ravenwood often um, every, every month, first Thursday of every month. I would invite you to come to that. Um, when you sit and talk with those widows and widowers and you ask them about their spouse... Their, their spouse could have passed away 30 years ago and their, their tears flow as though he just passed away yesterday. Listen, be kind. Serve the widow. Be kind to them. Be compassionate to them. Take them to lunch. Love them. You see, the point that James here is making is, is pure and undefiled religion is looking after people that the world forgets about. And why would we do that? Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. We don't owe him, or we owe him everything. He doesn't owe us anything. We're nobodies. You and I, we're nobodies. 
And yet, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's how much God loves you, us, me. That's how much he loves us, nobodies. So that's why we're called to look after the world's most vulnerable. Because God was kind and compassionate to us. Because he served us. Because he loved us. And so we show that same kind of love to others. So we've seen here, so far, three practical applications of the word. Watch your mouth. Serve the orphan. Serve the widow. But there's one more. Look in your Bible, verse 27. The very end of verse 27 Keep oneself unstained from the world. In verse 21, we talked about pulling the weeds, right? In verse 27, this is making sure those weeds don't come back. Keep yourself unstained from the world. Here's the end. You can live a life pretending. You can be what Jesus referred to as a whitewashed tomb. You might be able to cite 40, 50 verses from the Bible... You might attend Bible study. You might come to church every Sunday. You might read your Bible every single day. But if that's where it ends, if you don't do what the Bible says to do, well, according to this passage, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. And the Lord loves you way, way too much for you to go through life being deceived. That's why tough passages like this exist, by the way. They're like a mirror for us. We examine them and we say, man, is, is what I'm seeing reality? Am I, am I, do I have, do I possess a, a genuine faith? Is my faith a pure, genuine faith? Or is it a pretend faith? See, faith has to be more than just simple agreement. You must agree. You must agree with God about your sin. You've sinned before God. You've broken God's commands. You must agree with God about His Son. He is the sinless Savior of the world who lived a perfect life and never once sinned and died on the cross and came back to life three days later. You must agree with those things. You must repent and believe in the gospel. But faith is so much more than intellectual agreement. It begins with agreement, but then it's demonstrated in action. A faith without action is a whitewashed tomb. Empty words. Useless. Let me ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads for just a second. And with, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, let me ask you just to consider your walk with the Lord. Is your walk with the Lord, is it a pretend faith? Or is it a pure faith? If it's a pretend faith, if you, know, if you know right now that you've been playing a game, if you know that you've been deceiving yourself, then I want you to ask yourself this question. Why is it that right now the Lord is revealing to me that I'm deceiving myself? Could it be? That God loves you so much. And he loves you way too much to allow you to continue down the path of deception. Perhaps you need to 
come to faith in Christ and be saved. Repent and believe. And if that's you and you want someone to pray with you, I'll be standing down front. I would love to pray with you and lead you to Christ. Perhaps you, you know, you know that you know the Lord, but maybe you've wandered a bit. Maybe it's time for you to return. Come on home. You're a born again believer, but somewhere along the way, life just got off track. Listen to me. God loves you way too much to let you continue down that path without great conviction. And if you feel great conviction, that's the, that's the Lord's way of wooing you back to him. Return to the Lord. Repent. Ask him to help you. Ask him if he would help you hear the word of God and do what the word of God says. And we will give him glory every single step of the way. Right now, I want you just to look in the mirror and ask God to show you what he sees. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the word that is planted in us, the word that is perfect and pure. Thank you for giving your word a great purpose. Thank you for helping us apply your word. Father, right now as I pray, I pray, Father, that those in the room, that, that those right now who are looking in the mirror, I pray, Father, you would show them what you want them to know. Not what I want them to know. Not what it, We don't know. You know. We pray, God, I pray that you would reveal to them what you want them to know. And then, Father, I pray you would give them, give them the courage to respond. And Father, I pray that as a result of this word, that your people would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And as we do and as we work, we were going to give you all the glory every step away. For you alone deserve all the glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.